You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. So Pastor Nathan is in New York City and celebrating his 15th anniversary. Uh, so I am here, right? So, um, well, I'm, I'm at almost 20, so I'm like, eh. Um, <laughs> And there's somebody here who's been married way longer than that, I'm sure. But uh, so this morning, God has given me a word. We're going to continue in John's gospel, uh, and we're going to be in John chapter 7. I apologize. I don't know if they had a chance to fix it, but the slides, uh, we're going to be in verses 3 to about 24. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to do most of it. There... uh, (laughs) In John's gospel, I mean, you guys have heard this over and over and over again, that churches will spend years on John's gospel. I was talking to uh, Pastor Ben, who's the pastor at Amadeo. I was talking to him yesterday, and uh, he said that when he started into, uh, I believe it was Mark's gospel, there was somebody in his church, one of his elders now, who moved away for three years, and when they came back, he was just wrapping up. So uh, there is so much in the Gospels. So John's Gospel, I I went in prayer, and and I I tell you, uh, there's so much in here. Uh, I'm going to give it away, what we're going to talk about from the beginning, and then we're going to unpack it. Jesus tells exactly when we hear things, doctrinal things or teachings or statements uh, or or things like that, how, how we can discern how we can know what's right, what's true. Who's telling the truth? Because it says in 1 Timothy, a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There's a lot of doctrinal differences all over the place, and some of it, some of it is, is significant, and there's things we should debate, and there's a lot of them that we really shouldn't. But I'm going I'm to quote some things, and, and, and maybe you've heard some of these things. Maybe you own a business, quote, maybe you own a business, and you, you've experienced a bit of success. Lately, however, you, you've been coasting, thinking that perhaps you, you've reached your limits. You're not stretching your faith. You aren't believing for an increase in your customer base or prophets. Don't stop halfway. Go to the top of that mountain. Believe God for more. A lot of pastors will really talk down about this, this, this type of teaching, this type of preaching, this, this idea that uh, just pray to God and blessing always means worldly success. Sometimes this doctrine will imply or or outright say that, quote, if you can learn to look at life through your eyes of faith and start seeing yourself rising to new levels, seeing yourself accomplish your dreams, receiving more, enjoying life, you will experience God's blessings and favor. A lot of people embrace that. A lot lot of pastors will embrace it. A lot of people uh, love that to hear that. And, And some of you here right now are saying... Sounds fine to me. So what? What's wrong with that? 
What's the harm in thinking positively or striving for the best? Nothing. There's nothing wrong in that. So when we hear something like that, or on the other side of things, and especially with that, because these, are, these things are being taught by pastors who are educated and have been preaching and teaching for some of them longer than I've been alive. So when we hear teachings like that, and then on the other hand, we hear teachings from people and pastors who say, God is this, this dictator in heaven who wants nothing to do with you unless you're perfect. And once you come to Christ, you can never sin again. Because then, God is, they teach that God is this merciless dictator who expects nothing but perfection. How do we know? I mean, this is literally two very, very different stories. Two very different teachings over here. God wants to bless you and, and, and make things great and prosper you. And over here, if you don't follow every single thing he says, you're going to hell. You're done. How, how do we discern? How do we know if a pastor is preaching a biblical message? How do we know if it's from God? Has anybody ever asked this question before? Listen to people teaching and going, sounds good, but man, I don't know. As I was preparing for this message, I had to rewrite it, of course, because it always happens like that. But uh, I, get, I get the email. It's from a blog from Tim Ferrara, who's one of our elders, and the blog is called Discerning Dad. It's great. It's not always just Tim. He has other uh, guys who come in and write for him. But Tim kind of addressed this very question, and I want to read it to you because it was amazing. He raised the question about going to the doctor and seeking a second opinion because when we get bad news, we always want a second opinion. When we hear something that unsettles us or that we don't like, we always want a second opinion. But we never do that when it's good news. If we go to the doctor and everything's fantastic and great, we don't go, oh, you know what? I want to confirm that with somebody else. So this is what Tim said. The correlation can be made with the church today. People love to hear a good diagnosis. People feel the need to seek out someone else when preachers tell us things like, we are awesome. People don't feel the need, I'm sorry. Or, God loves us no matter what we do. Or the sin called out in the Bible doesn't apply today. God wants you to be prosperous and wealthy we walk away feeling good about ourselves from these type of messages as a type of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. There's nothing wrong with feeling positive, but the problem arises when the tables turn and we start to hear messages about sin or something that is trying to motivate us to change our behavior. Many times with a tough message from either a preacher or the Bible directly, we get what Tim is calling dissociative thinking, listening. Sorry, dissociative listening. We hear, but we do not apply the truth to ourselves. We think of, a, maybe we nudge our spouse sitting next to us, or we think of that friend who gossiped about us, and we wish they were here to hear this message right now. And the problem with getting a second opinion when it comes to God is there will always be someone else out there who will tell you 
what you want to hear. There will always be a friend who doesn't want conflict and tells you that your sin is just fine. Everyone does it. There will be a pastor somewhere who will tell you that repentance isn't necessary and God just wants you to be happy. If you seek truth, you will find it. Unfortunately, if you seek what your ears want to hear, you will find that as well. Wow. So my message title is, How Will We Know? How will we know if what we're seeking and what we're hearing is just what we want to hear or if it's a convicting word from God? The really cool thing is about the Bible, Jesus answered this very clearly. He tells us, and we're going to walk through the formula that Jesus gives us on how we can discern truth. Because Jesus himself was faced with this kind of criticism. Rabbi, how do we know that what you're telling us is true? That happened to Jesus more than once. And there were people who stood up and said, you don't know anything. You're a fool. You're a liar. You're a blasphemer, and we're going to kill you. So if you'll, if you'll allow me and, and follow me as we dive into John 7, verses uh, 3 through about 24. Oh, they did fix it. Cool. <laughs> so starting in verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. These aren't his spiritual brothers. These aren't just, you know, friends. These are, these are blood relatives. James, the author of the book of James, um, also known as Jacob, is one of them. These are guys who grew up with Jesus Christ. They know him. They've, some of them have seen the miracles. If you, if you work back to where we are at this point, some of them were at the wedding in Cana. Some of them were likely there when Jesus fed the 5,000 or when he was doing the healings and the miracles at the, at the, at the, in Bethesda or when the Samaritan's woman was at Jacob's well. They, they were probably with him at this. They probably have seen him do miracles. But they don't even believe in him. They know him. He's their brother. They've seen him do miracles, and they still don't believe in him. They are telling him, man, go into Jerusalem, find the biggest stage you possibly can, maybe, you know, maybe even a stadium, pack it full of people. If you want people to know this, you've got to stand up there and be known. You've got to get this popularity, and man, people got to lift you up. Man, you've got to do this. You gotta get all this glory to yourself. You gotta, man, we're almost there. This is the big city. This is like New York City. Get the biggest stage you can find, man. Come on, let's go. They didn't trust his judgment. And if you jump ahead to verse 24, it says, Jesus tells, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. They wanted Jesus to go into Jerusalem, put on a huge performance, a big show, attract a whole bunch of people, and put on this outward appearance. 
for people to judge because that's what they were doing. They were looking at Jesus' outward appearance. Some of the superficial things, he was saying things, they were taking it superficially. They were looking at these things that he was doing and see, only seeing that the act itself, they weren't really seeing through to see who Jesus was. They weren't seeing through to see what his message, they weren't hearing what his message really was. They said, man, if you want this, go get it. You could be the most famous person in the world. So what does Jesus say? Now, when I read this, I imagine Jesus would be like, how many times do I have to tell you guys this? Verse six, therefore Jesus told them, my time is not here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus is saying to them, it's not time yet, guys. I'm not going to the festival. Have fun. You guys can go up there and say and do whatever you want because they're not going to hate you because you look just like them. You're doing and saying all the same things the world says. What's the hate? The world would never hate or fill up stadiums of 10, 20, 30,000 people to listen to somebody they hated. They're not going to listen to they're not going to have a problem listening to you guys. Go for it. Go up to Jerusalem. You guys go ahead and start talking. Have fun. Seek all the glory you want because they're going to love you. But when I get there, when it is my time, they're going to hate me because of the things that I'm going to call them out. I'm going to tell them about their evil ways. They're not going to like it. He's going to show them that their work is evil and, and pointless. He's going to, they're going to hate Jesus because he's going to come in a way that's going to rock their world. And they do. When his time comes, as we know, they mock him, humiliate him, make fun of him, beat him, spit on him, curse at him, beat him to within an inch of his life, and then hang him on a cross and watch him die. And that's what the world is going to do. When is his time? And he's saying, guys, you've got to trust my timing. It's not time yet. And how many times has he had to tell them that? It's not my time. It's not my time. Verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival... He went also, not in public, not publicly, but in secret. And I want to clarify here, this is not a contradiction. This is not um, Jesus being deceitful and saying, you know, you guys go ahead. And then he sneaks in behind him. That's not what this is. This is God's timing. This is timing. This is God saying, it's not my time to go yet, but I'm going to go. And he does. And when he does, he doesn't come in with, with, with a fanfare and, and all this. He sneaks in quietly because that's who he is. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives his people. See, he's... 
Jesus is, is there in quiet, in secret, not, not garnering a lot of attention, listening to people spread rumors and lies, and some people were spreading the truth. But as we see in the next verse, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Pastor Nathan has told you from the stage that if any time one of us or him is teaching something and you have a question about it, by all means, ask. Trust but verify. These people were afraid to do that. Some of them knew the truth about who Jesus was, but they were so scared of the established leaders that they would not answer, say anything publicly, and they sure as heck wouldn't question the leadership. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? See, Jesus gets up there and and he starts teaching and the words that are coming out of his mouth are beautiful. And he's speaking with authority and he's speaking with knowledge and the leadership is going, holy, who is this guy? He's, we've never taught him any of this stuff. How does he know this stuff? He's speaking so eloquently and just entertainingly. And they're just bewildered at the attention and, and, and just the, the, the attraction of the things that he's saying. They are bewildered because who is he? He's nobody. We never trained this guy to teach this stuff. He's not one of us. I was at a conference yesterday, and I, I, I'll talk more about it as we go, but I, I got this book. It, it's a New Testament paraphrase. So, like, the message is not a translation of the New Testament. It's a paraphrase, like a commentary. And the way it's worded in here, uh, Dr. Tim Jennings is the guy who wrote it. He's a psychiatrist, brilliant man. He was there yesterday, and just amazing guy. But uh, the way he writes it is kind of cool. It wasn't until the feast was halfway over that Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. After hearing his eloquence and depth of scriptural knowledge, the Jewish religious leaders leaders were bewildered and asked, how is it possible that this man could know so much about scriptures without ever having gone to one of our seminaries or been properly taught by us? How dare he? See, they were doing what Jesus warns about in verse 24. They were judging by outward appearances. They weren't listening to the words he was saying. They weren't hearing the message that he was delivering. They were judging his credentials. They were judging how he spoke. The crowds, they were judging everything outwardly about him. They weren't looking deeper into what he was saying, and they were completely ignoring it. We don't get to see what Jesus was actually teaching. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But what we do know at the time is rabbis would would frequently not teach from the Torah. They would actually teach based on what other scholars had written about the Torah. They would only reference the works of other well-known writers and other well-known rabbis and other scholars. So here's Jesus, this completely uneducated man, stepping up and saying, 
here's the Torah, here's the truth, here's the scriptures. I imagine some of them are probably like, we can't even do that. <laughs> I couldn't even teach that. I have no idea what he's saying. Because see, we do the same thing today. We do. We, we, we crave truth, and sometimes when we hear something, we, we, we go to a book after book after book to answer our questions. We crave to be told that we are the center of it all, and we hear things, and we, we, we search for things. We are amazed by books and pastors and preachers who tell us what we want to hear and make us feel good. We like it. Who doesn't? Who, doesn't want, who wants to listen to a preacher that's boring? I don't. When we are looking for truth, though, we don't need to follow the world's standard and look for somebody who has all the popularity. Maybe, oh, everybody's listening to this guy. Maybe he's right. We don't need to go and, and, and judge people on their outward appearances and say, oh, well, you know, he went to this seminary, so he's got to be. You've got to know what he's talking about. We shouldn't take the world standard and say, well, you know, I know you have authority and you have education, but uh, let me see your resume. Because that's what the rabbis did. So what do we do? If we can't judge the things that were taught based on someone's resume, what do we do? Verses 17 and 18, this is, this is the X that marks the spot. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of the morning because there's a lot here in these two verses. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. But there's nothing false. There is nothing false about him. In the ESV it says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether they are speaking of their own authority. There it is. Jesus says, how can we discern if what I'm hearing from all these people in the world, all these different doctrinal stances, all these different ideas, how, can, how do I know it's true? Jesus said, this is how you, this is how you measure it. If we want to know someone is speaking on their own authority, listen to the words they're saying. Don't just look at the appearance. Don't just judge outwardly. Judge correctly. Are they seeking to glorify themselves or God? He says if we align our will with his, we'll be able to see. If we're willing to trust Jesus and follow him, we will be able to clearly see that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We'll be able to discern between different teachings and go to scripture ourselves and pull out the answers. Jesus didn't want to go to Jerusalem to cause a big stink and raise, raise a big commotion and get big crowds. He went there to deliver a message from God and actually deflect the glory from him to God. Now, he doesn't always do this, obviously. At some point, when the time is right, we must glorify Jesus. But right now, that's not that time. At this time, Jesus is actually giving us a pretty clear example of what to look for. 
He's, bring, he's deflecting the glory off of himself and saying, no, 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 all glory to God. In verse 16, he talks about, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. He's modeling it for us, an example, just like he does with the Lord's Prayer. How do we pray? This is how you pray. Let your will be done, not mine. He does the same thing in the garden. God, if, this, if, you can, if I don't have to do this, please take it away. But if it is your will, let it be done. So let's break that down. Verse 17, if, it is, if anyone's will is to do God's will. How do we do that? I mean, that's what it says, but how? How do we do this? You can do it in four easy steps. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. <laughs> so before discerning truth, before trying to, to understand, we must first humble ourselves to Jesus. Gain a relationship with Jesus Christ, accept him as our Lord and Savior, Receive the Holy Spirit is step one. Step two, answer Jesus, do what Jesus says. If, it's, if anyone's will is to do God's will, how do I do God's will? Accept Christ. Get on your knees and ask him to change your will. God, align my will with yours. I'm here, use me, help me. I, I want to do what you say. I want to do what you want me to do. Align my will with yours. Because if you pray that prayer and you really mean it, I promise he will show up and do it. Promise. So now, verse 17 says, accept Christ, pray to align your will with his will. And now when your will is aligned with God's will, go to Scripture. If you're trying to discern biblical truth, go to the Bible. But go with an open mind. Some pastors will say approach Scripture like a child. Take everything you think you know and put it aside. Don't go to Scripture and try to take what you want and what you want to hear and what your worldview is and all your preconceived notions and agendas and try to force it into Scripture. That's easy. We all do it. Instead, pray to align. When you go to Scripture, God, reveal to me the truth. Show me your will. Show me the truth in your word. Don't lucky dip. Don't just, oh, don't do that. It's not how it's meant to be read. If you want to grow in knowledge and, and discernment, ask for it. Surround yourself with people who are good at it. Surround yourself with other believers who are more mature in their faith. Seek teachers and pastors to help you make sense of these things. Trust but verify. 
Listen to his word. Study his word. Be careful with Greek, though. It's hard. But there's literary styles and tools, and we live in an information age. All these things are readily available. There are tools that teach us how to approach Scripture and how to pull things out and how to make sense of things. Be in fellowship with other mature believers. Essentially, what I'm saying is, give your life to Christ. Submit your will to his will. Go to Scripture and become a disciple. That's what Jesus says. You want to discern truth? Become one of my disciples. Because then, when you go to Scripture, you will be able to see what verse 18 When someone is speaking on their own authority, they're doing it to gain personal glory. You'll be able to, to, to see in whatever book or video or past preacher, are they preaching more about them or God? Are they preaching about me? Are they trying to make me feel good about me? Or... Are they trying to show me God and, and offer the conviction that comes with loving Jesus? Does it, when you hear these messages and read these books and watch these videos, does it, do you feel more convicted to grow in your desire to glorify God? Or do you feel happy because now you can go into the world and be successful? There are things out there that we're going to debate about. There's some guys in this room that I've had debates with. They're fun, though. They're lots of fun. <laughs> but there are essentials that are non-debatable. Start from there. Give your life to Christ. Align your will with his will. Go to Scripture without an agenda. Are there going to be things in there that offend you? Probably. Are there going to be things that we read in there and go, ooh, I do that? Probably. Is God seeking these perfect people who check boxes and do every single little thing? No. No. Whenever someone's on a stage or has your ear, or teaching and preaching, and that message is more about you than God, walk away. Because folks, this isn't about us. This is a book written by God about God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your revelation in creation, in, in how our bodies work. God, thank you. Everything points back to you. Train us to see this, to know this, to trust it, to love it, and take joy. Thank you, God, for, for considering us and loving us so much that you reveal yourself to us in, in written word 
the God of the universe, the sovereign God of everything, you came down to our level. Thank you. Thank you. Most of all, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. He was questioned, he was mocked, he was ridiculed for speaking truth. And then he sacrificed his life for us. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. LifePoint Church, we're going to share communion. We share communion every time we gather because that's what the Bible says to do. At LifePoint, we only have one requirement if you want to share in communion. Is that it, communion, it is that if you have accepted the Lord and Jesus Christ as your Savior, repented for your sins. We have three stations in the back, three in the front. If you would make your way to those stations and gather the elements. sitting there and don't know what this is all about don't understand communion, why we do it you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there are prayer partners up front who would be happy to pray with you and share with you what Jesus means who he is receive communion the Bible tells us not to take it lightly that if we have any unrepentance or any anger we're holding towards somebody else or ourselves because of some sin that we've committed some wrong that we've done God says before you receive communion repent come to him us two ordinances to follow, both symbols, baptism and communion. One a symbol of new life, the other a remembrance of his sacrifice. On the day he was crucified, he took the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat. Remember my body broken for you. Please eat the bread. same night and in the same way he took a cup showed it to his disciples and said drink this and remember 
my blood poured out to cover your sin. Because we can't do it on our own. Remember that Jesus gave his, shed his blood so we can have eternal life with God. Once again, we thank you and praise you. All things come from you. Our knowledge, our reason, our, 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 our hunger for knowledge. Grow that in us, God, to know more about you and your son, Jesus. Bless us, God.